0: But uh, right now, I'm going to wrap up the series we're in called The Questionable Life. And so I want to tell you about something I got to experience about a year ago. Uh, I got to go on a biblical tour of Israel. And I'm telling you, if you ever get the chance to do something like this, it is amazing, life-changing. I learned so much. It was fantastic. Uh, I got to bring a friend. So uh, here's my friend, Stephen. Stephen. Uh, Stephen actually works here at Ada Bible Church, and if you use the Beyond the Weekend devotional resource, Stephen uh, oversees that team. So Stephen and I got to join this team, travel, and uh, it was awesome. But I, uh, I learned something about myself through this experience, um, and really kind of leading up to the trip, that something about myself that I'm kind of embarrassed of, um, kind of not proud of, and so... Um, It all started when I got an email from the trip leader just kind of walking through like the details of the trip, and uh, in that email, I saw that when we all, there was like 40 people on this tour, all got to the airport in Chicago. Uh, The email said, you know, everybody needs to wear the lanyard with their name tag on it, and when I read that, I I thought to myself, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not wearing some name tag through the airport, I'm just, you know, that's not cool, I'm not doing that. And so I kept reading it, and then it was like, and when we're in Israel, everybody needs to wear their group backpack. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'm not doing that either, okay? Uh, Backpack with 40, 50 people traipsing around Israel. I'm not doing that. I I hate looking like a tourist. And so if you got a group T-shirt, I'm not doing that either, okay? So that's the deal. And then I started to think, like, why why am I reacting like this? Like, what is it? This is very immature. What's up with this? And that's when I remembered, oh, I don't like being told what to do. Yeah. No, I don't like it when people tell me what I have to do and how I have to do it. I really, really don't like that. And uh, I'm guessing I'm not alone. I'm guessing that you experience this too. In fact, uh, those of you who are students, some of you maybe had an experience last week where you're sitting in class and your teacher says, "Uh, hey, I need you to put away your phone. And you just rolled your eyes, you know, like, come on. Those of you who are older, you've experienced this. I got three words for you. Home Owners Association. That's right. You found out you're not allowed to build a shed there. And you thought, I never wanted a shed until now. And I'm putting it right there. <laughs> because I don't like to be told what to do. You see, we all have this, right? It's, it's just part of being a, a broken human being. We do not like being told what to do. So we struggle with authority. And uh, I got some bad news, some challenging news uh, the scripture we're going to be looking at today, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote a letter to early Christians, and in that letter, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, he's going to say, hey, when somebody in authority over you tells you you need to do something, you kind of need to do it. So uh, here we are, the final week of the series, The Questionable Life, and this is a series all about living the kind of life that causes people to ask questions about your faith. And the series is based on, as I said, a letter that Peter wrote to Christians living in the first century under the Roman Empire. So we got a map, this is modern day Turkey, if you can't tell, and that was part of the Roman Empire. In that region, a group of churches, Jesus followers in that region, that's who Peter is writing to. Now it strikes me that I, and probably you, don't always like dealing with authority in 2023 America. But these Christians living under the Roman Empire, keyword, empire, uh, I think they struggled with authority in ways that is difficult for us to get our minds around. For one thing, the Roman Empire was not friendly to Christians. And so Peter writes to them about dealing with authority. And uh, one of the things that he says, and this will be key to our conversation today, is this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And I don't like that verse. People have life verses, that's not mine, okay? (laughs) Because I I don't like being told what to do, and I suspect that you're the same, but here's the deal. The questionable life, this, this life that you can live that causes people to ask questions about your faith, why you do the things that you do, there's something here about living under authority and responding appropriately to authority, especially when it's authority figures and perhaps structures that we don't necessarily like. The truth is, we have an opportunity in the way that we respond to authority to live out the questionable life. And so today's conversation will be challenging. Uh, because all of us, I'm guessing, have some authority in our lives that we don't exactly appreciate. And it might be at work, it might be political, it might be at school, I mean, all of us deal with this. And so what we're going to be looking at is three environments where we experience authority and how each one of these is an opportunity to live out the questionable life. So let's jump in. Uh, the, the scripture I wanna start with is one that I just read to you. Uh, verse 13 of chapter two of 1 Peter, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. We're talking about political authority. So just the first environment where we experience authority in our lives is government, government authority. Now, I want you to imagine yourself as one of these first century Jesus followers who is hearing this letter being read. Because I think the way that this worked is that when you were gathered together as a church, and it would have been in a home because uh, there were no church buildings, so here you are gathered in somebody's home, listening as Peter's letter is read to your congregation. I just believe that when the reading got to this part right here, you know, submit to the emperor, that one or more people in that gathering would have just said, you know what, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, seriously? No. The emperor, you want us to submit to the emperor? And the reason I think that some would have had this reaction is who the emperor was during this time. So uh, here's a a picture, guy named Nero, okay, Emperor Nero. Now, even if you're not a history nerd like me, I'm guessing you've heard of Emperor Nero. And I'm guessing that what you've heard is not exactly positive because this guy honestly was something else. Uh, He was violent. He was paranoid. He literally had his own mother and wife murdered. At one point during his reign, there was this massive fire that swept through Rome. And his reputation was so bad that many people in the city blamed him, saying Nero himself started the fire. Why? Because he wanted to clear land for this giant golden palace that he wanted to build. And Nero, in turn, blamed the Christians. He said, no, 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 it was the Christians who started the fire. And so he persecuted Jesus' followers. One Roman historian even tells us that in public places, Nero had Christians burned alive. This guy was awful. I mean, he he was not an awesome leader. And so I just imagine that some of those early Christians would have been going, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously, you want us to submit to this guy? And actually, it's worse than that. Because there's another layer that Peter puts on top of this. And so let's look at a scripture that if you were with us last weekend, uh, we looked at this scripture in that sermon. It's verse 17, where Peter writes, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and what does he say? Honor God the emperor. Oh, yeah. It's not just submit. It's not just obey the law. No, no, no. When you talk about the emperor, you need to speak respectfully. You need to show him honor as if he has worth and dignity. It's much more difficult than just submitting honor. Now, something else I want you to see here, two two words that come right before that. I I think this is important. Fear God, honor the emperor, because as we talk about how uh, we are called to submit to the authorities in our lives and to to obey the law, uh, there is a limit. There is a limit to that, and that limit is when it crosses over into disobeying God. See, the order is fear God, honor the emperor. And so the early Christians, I think, actually experienced this, because there were times when the Roman Empire, the government, required people to offer a sacrifice, as in worship, to Caesar. To offer a sacrifice to Caesar as God, as in Caesar is Lord. And as you might expect, the Christians, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. And we do not offer sacrifices to Caesar. And so they would refuse to do it. And they they were punished. They they suffered. In some cases, they were even executed. And so there is a limit to submitting and obeying uh, our government, and that is when it crosses over into disobeying God. Now, even in that type of scenario, what does Peter say? Honor the emperor. Even there, speak respectfully of the emperor. And so again, those early Christians, why? Why should we show respect to a guy who is not worth respecting? And that's a good question. And so why, why should we respect our government leaders if we feel they're a person that's not worth respecting? And the answer is Peter already told us. In the first verse that we looked at, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. It's for his sake. You see, our willingness to submit, our willingness to honor really isn't about whether or not that particular leader is, in our minds, worthy of that. The truth is, it's because he is asking us to. Peter reminds us, no, Jesus is asking you to do this. This is why And so it really doesn't have anything to do with the worthiness of the president or the governor or the head of the school board. It has everything to do with him. And uh, something that's so important here is that how we speak and how we act and whether or not we're willing to submit and to honor, this, this has to do with the questionable life. This has to do with our ability to live the kind of life that causes people to ask questions about our faith. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, and that's sarcastic. (laughs) We have lost the ability in our culture to disagree in a respectful way. It kind of doesn't matter what end of the political spectrum that we're talking about. The, The tone in our culture right now, and I've said this before, is I'm right, you're an idiot, end of conversation and we've just lost the ability to to respectfully disagree. Civil discourse is kind of dead right now. And so here we have Jesus calling us to what I would call a third way, where we would be able to be politically active, to vote regularly, perhaps to strongly disagree with a particular politician or policy, and yet to speak honorably and respectfully about political leaders and even those on the other end of the political spectrum. I just think there's opportunity for questions here where somebody would just go, listen, I don't understand this. I mean, I know how passionately you, you feel about this and yet you're, you're still nice. <laughs> What's up with this? And for you to be able to go, listen, uh, it's probably because my hope is not in this government. And my hope is not in this country. My hope is in Jesus. And I guess that's why I'm able to respectfully disagree here. And you know what? I think that invites further conversation. That might just create an opportunity for you to share more about your relationship with Jesus. And so the challenge for us here is understanding that as we are politically active and as we advocate for what we believe, that what we say and how we say it reflects on Christ. And so as you speak about Governor Whitmer, for example, are you able to do that in a tone that's honoring, that's respectful, and that's gracious, even if you don't agree with all of her policies? And when you post on social media about former President Trump or our current President Joe Biden, are you able to post comments and whatever else that is honoring and respectful and gracious? And if you're uh, the type of person that likes to put political bumper stickers on your car or put political signs in your yard, the content and the tone of those bumper stickers and yard signs, they are connected to the reputation of Christ because you are a Jesus follower. We reflect him. Now, I I understand that for some of us, maybe many of us, this space is really difficult. And you might find yourself angry and frustrated when it comes to just politics in general and what's going on maybe right now in particular. And I just understand that it's not because you're a jerk. It's because you care. You care about our country. You care about our government. You care about our society. And perhaps you're just... Mourning what you believe is a loss of Christian values in our society. And so, yeah, you're really frustrated. And so the question is, how do you be politically active, vote regularly, have passionate opinions, disagree strongly, and do it in a way that's honoring to our leaders, respectful of people who disagree with you? That is the questionable life. And that's what all of us are being invited into here. And so Peter has challenging words for us. And I think this was challenging for his original audience as well. How do we deal with authority when it comes to our government? But Peter has much more to say about our relationship with authority and how we relate to leaders. And now he wants to turn the conversation toward uh, an environment where a lot of us spend a great deal of our time, and that is uh, work. So here we go. Let's jump back into uh, Peter's letter, uh, verse 18 of chapter 2. Peter says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, I said we were going to talk about work And Peter's writing about slaves, so what's up with this? Okay, slavery was just widespread in the ancient Roman world. In fact, uh, historians have argued that the city of Rome, the capital of the empire, as much as one-third of the population were slaves. And so there were tons of slaves in the Roman Empire, and many of the early Christians were slaves. And we know this from reading through the New Testament. Paul and Peter write to slaves in specific, addressing them. They talk about how to to follow Jesus when you're in slavery. So we know that many who were reading this letter truly were slaves. Now, thankfully, uh, none of us are slaves in the same way that these early Christians were. And so what's the application for us? What does this passage mean for us? Well, it's probably obvious because I already mentioned it, but I think the closest parallel is actually work because the workplace usually has an authority structure. You have a boss and your boss probably has a boss and on and on up the line. And the truth is, if you have a boss, you can't really just disobey your boss without consequences. I mean, that could go very badly for you. So I, I think a close parallel is work. In fact, I think if Peter were writing this letter to us in 2023 America, he he would probably say something like this. Employees, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your bosses. And not just those who are good, kind, and considerate, but also also the ones that are not. (laughs) And you know what? I think there are uh, other... Uh, parallels, other applications for this the text as well. Uh, lots of you work, some of you are younger, you're still in school and maybe someday you'll be in the, in the workforce, but uh, it's another environment where you have authority and that is school. Whether you're in uh, middle school, high school, college, you got a teacher, you got a professor and so you kind of have to obey your teacher unless you want to fail the class. And so if, if Peter were writing to us today, he might say, students, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your teachers. And again, not just to the good ones, the kind ones, the considerate ones, but also the not-so-nice ones. And I just think there's so, many, there's so many applications here. A lot of you are in sports. If Peter were writing us today, he might say, uh, Players, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your coaches. And, and not just the good ones, but also okay that that's that's not the right one. There we go. There we go, okay, yeah, okay. now that everybody's been equally offended, we can talk so so Peter is writing to slaves, and he says, listen, you, you need to submit to their authority and I mean this is hard to this is hard to hear not just your owners, your masters who are kind, but also the ones who are harsh and so I think for us it's 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 students, it's, it's employees, it's players that maybe are in the military. It's commanding officers. We, we need to respect, we need to honor, we need to submit to the authorities in our lives, even when they're not great leaders. I mean, you might have a boss who's honestly a terrible leader. But Peter says, hey, you need to, you need to submit. Not because they're worthy of it, but why was it again? What did he say? in reverence to God. That sounds like worship to me. You see, the bottom line, at the end of the day, the reason that we submit ourselves to leaders in our lives, wherever they are, is not because they're necessarily worthy of it, but because he is. And work and sports and school is actually an opportunity to worship God. Because At the end of the day, he's our actual boss and leader. I mean, the Lord Jesus, the word Lord, it means boss. And so this is the challenge for us. And again, it's an opportunity to live the questionable life. Because so many people don't show respect to a leader who's not Great. In fact, this could lead to a conversation for you, where, where a coworker would just be like, I, "I, I, I do not understand why you respect our boss. I just don't get it." And you might be able to say, "You know what? Honestly, truthfully, I don't have that much respect for our boss, but I have a ton of respect for Jesus, and He's why I show respect to our boss." And again, this creates an opportunity for more questions and a conversation about your relationship with Jesus. It's living out the questionable life. And so uh, I have a challenge for you. I want you to consider uh, two things this coming Monday because you'll be headed back to the office, back to the work site, back to the classroom, back to the gym. Two challenges. I want to ask you to bring your best effort and your best attitude. Not because your boss or your coach or your teacher is worthy necessarily of that, but because he is. And I think some of us would probably admit, okay, I've I've been phoning it in a little bit. I've been slacking. Uh, You might be willing to admit that you've been participating in some water-cool conversations that are just not very respectful of leadership where you work your best effort, and your best attitude. Not for them, but for him. And maybe, maybe you do need to look for a different job. I mean, it's possible you work for somebody that's, that's very difficult, perhaps even toxic. And so maybe, maybe you need to find a different place to work. But until you leave, would you be willing to bring your best effort and your best attitude? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, You're working for him, and it's an opportunity to live the questionable life in the lives of people around us. So Peter is challenging us in how we relate to authority, helping us to understand that truly these are spiritual matters, how we relate to authority in government and how we relate to authority at work and at school. But now he wants to turn the conversation to someplace that's a little bit more close to home. Because it is home. And so let's talk about uh, authority in the family. So here we go. Jumping over to chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. All right. We are out of time. It's interesting. (laughs) Pastor Jeff will pick this up next week. It'll be great. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk about uh, authority in the home, authority in the family. So what does Peter mean here when he asks wives to submit to their husbands? What, what does that mean? Well, I think this has to do with respect. And I think it has to do with honoring. And I think it has to do with encouraging and supporting. And yes, I do believe it has to do with following leadership. Because we believe as a church that uh, God created men and women differently. And there's beautiful differences there and valuable differences, but we do believe that God has called husbands and fathers to provide leadership in their homes. Now, there's not permission. That does not mean God is giving the right to be dominant, domineering, to treat Wives and children as somehow inferior and less than. It's not permission to boss around your family. Actually, Peter holds husbands to a very high standard, and he challenges them very strongly. In fact, just a few verses down in, in verse 7, we see some of this, where he says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, let's unpack some of these phrases here because they're kind of interesting. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. In other words, don't just be telling her what to do. Listen to her. Take her perspective into account. Ask, be considerate as you live with your wife and treat her with respect, As the weaker partner, what does that mean? I don't think it has anything to do with being inferior or less than. I think it's a general statement about physical strength. Now, with that said, I know some of you ladies who are in CrossFit could absolutely crush me in an arm wrestling match, and so a general statement about physical strength, okay? Heirs with you, heirs together, equal in value of the gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think this is important. Peter's saying, look, if you're a domineering jerk at home, don't expect that God's going to listen to your prayers. And so, uh, you know, Peter challenges husbands. Paul, Paul in his writings has even more more of a challenge for husbands because he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Just die for her. Lay down your life for her. Sacrificial love. That, my friends, is what leadership looks like. Laying down your life. And so I think what Peter is doing here, actually, is calling husbands and wives into something that was incredibly revolutionary in the Roman world. And that is, a family and a marriage that is shaped by Jesus, that is Christ-centered, meaning that that marriage relationship would be all about loyalty and sacrificial love and mutual respect and the seeking of the other person's well-being and their flourishing. And I'm telling you, in the ancient Roman world, this was revolutionary. This was very different than most Roman marriages. And so this is what Peter is calling families into, to be a Christ-oriented family. But a lot of the Christians that Peter is writing to, they weren't part of a marriage like that, and they weren't in a family like that, because oftentimes it would be a wife who was a Jesus follower. She had heard the gospel message, placed her faith in Christ, and so she began to follow, and her husband was not. He's a pagan. He worships Zeus and Artemis and all these other Roman and Greek gods, and so you have a family that's split down the middle in terms of faith, and there's not that unity. And actually, this is exactly Specifically, the situation that Peter's writing about. He is writing to wives whose husbands are not believers. And I just want to pause for a second, because I recognize that that for some of you, that's exactly the reality that you're living in. Because you're here today, or you're watching online, and your spouse isn't. And it's not because they're on a business trip. It's because they don't want to. They're not interested. Or perhaps they're even hostile to your faith. And I just recognize that if that's the situation you find yourself in, that's really hard. That is really difficult space. Because I know that you want to have a family and a marriage that is centered on Christ. And and you don't have that right now. You're operating off of two different value systems, two different worldviews, and this creates tension. Conversations about money now have a lot of tension. Conversations about your kids and how you're going to raise them and what what values, and you so badly want to raise your kids in the church, and, and there's tension there. And so I just recognize this is really, really difficult space for some of you. And so what guidance did Peter have for these wives who had unbelieving husbands? And what guidance does he have for us when we have unbelieving spouses? This is what Peter says. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. The instruction that Peter has for these women is just live out your faith. Let Christ transform you. And as you treat your husband as a servant, as Christ would treat him, it's possible that in time he might be won over without words. In other words, that he might become open to a conversation about Jesus. And Peter goes on, and in verse 3 he says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I acknowledge this is a bit confusing. Because at first it sounds like, okay, don't do your hair, don't do your makeup, jewelry, no. It's like, sweatpants, are those okay? Okay, I don't think this is like prohibiting trying to look nice. I don't think this is what this is about. I think what Peter's saying here is look, there is something more valuable than your outer appearance, and that something is your inner character it's your heart it's it's a character that is shaped by Christ a, a gentle and quiet spirit what's that about well to me it echoes the fruit of the spirit and maybe you've seen this reading through the scriptures or heard this in a sermon the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance or patience kindness goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what a character looks like that has been shaped by Christ, that has been changed by the gospel. And I think what Peter is saying here, look, what do you do? How do you respect? How do you follow? How do you honor your husband when he's not a believer? And what do you do in that space? How do you live in that space? Peter says, let Christ transform your character and then live that out in your relationship. I mean, just serve him, love him, be faithful to him. In other words, what are you supposed to do here? Just be an incredible wife. I mean, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to convince someone, Like, Should I give him a book? Should I invite him? I mean, what? No, just for now, just be an amazing wife. Respect him, honor him, support him, love him like crazy. And if the scenario is switched around, just be an awesome husband. I mean, build her up, encourage her, cherish her, treasure her, just be an amazing husband to her. That's what you're called to do in this situation. And and I think this applies to a a wider set of family relationships because some of you have kids that, for whatever reason, have wandered away from faith, and you're just going, how do, how do I get them back? I mean, do I, do I send them a message? Do I just keep inviting them to hound them? I mean, what's the, just be a great mom. Just be a really supportive and good dad to your kid. And if it's flipped around, many of you have parents that don't believe and you're worried about them, they're getting older, just be a great daughter. Just be a really good son to your mom or your dad. And in time, by living that out, you might win them over without words. There may come a time where they just go, I, I don't understand you and I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And why, are you, why do you keep loving me so well? An opportunity to share Christ. And when they ask those questions, And this will take us back to where we started this series. When they ask those questions, chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is the questionable life. And so as we close up, I just want to ask you, these three environments, government, work, family. I just wonder if maybe God spoke to you in just one of these areas. And I wonder what step you might want to take in submitting and showing honor and loving people really well. And so that's the challenge as we close out this series, to live out the questionable life. And so let me pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, I just lift up before you husbands and wives whose spouse does not know you and does not follow you. And God, I just pray that you would bring incredible encouragement and strength and hope. God, I pray that your spirit would be at work Opening the eyes, opening the hearts of those unbelieving spouses. God, we pray for families that are unified in faith. And God, I also lift up brothers and sisters who are in a challenging environment where they're under a leader who's just difficult. God, would you sustain them? Would you give them wisdom on whether or not they need to seek a different place of employment or whatever? And God, in that space, would you give them the ability to be respectful and kind and hardworking? God, we're so grateful for your scriptures that guide us, that give us truth in the difficult spaces of life. And so we just tell you that we love you and we honor you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody, thanks for being here today. It was an absolute privilege to open the scriptures with you. We'll see you next week as we start off gospel change. We'll see you.